before we get going with this week's chat, I have to pop on here and tell you about our new sponsor, Plio, because I have wanted to work with them for so, so long, and here we are. If you haven't heard of Plio, they are the multi-award winning business spending solution built for forward-thinking teams that was launched in Copenhagen by two founders, Jeppe and Niccolo, who thought that the old way of managing business expenses was a bit rubbish. And I won't lie, I agree with them. Having won so many influential awards for completely changing the business expenses game for the better, whatever you or your team need to buy to do your very best work, you can now Plio it. And when I say teams, I don't just mean those of you with official employees, by the way. It's an absolute game changer for those of you like me that work with lots of freelancers too. Put simply, Plio is supporting female business owners all over Europe to do great things without admin and red tape holding us back. It saves you, your team and freelancers so much time. I really mean this because there's no longer any need for expense reports or random invoices. You basically just give them all a Plio card and you can see who's spending what as it comes in and better yet it syncs with all the usual accounting apps so that you know that everything is being reconciled in the right way. I've got my Plio card right here beside me and what I love about it is the fact that I also have a card from my VA Lisa who no longer has to email me to double check card details if she needs to buy something on my behalf which saves us both so much time and I know that it's going to be a complete game changer when we get back on the road and are travelling for the midweek mingle road shows because there has been more than one occasion where Chloe's needed extra snacks or she's had to nip out and buy things like scissors or ice buckets if I've forgotten to pack them last minute. So instead of faffing around with invoices when we're home, I can now give her a team Plio card. Basically, it's a game changer and it would not have won as many awards as it has done if it wasn't as good as it is. The very best bit is that they are offering all she can she did listeners, if you're a new customer, your first three months of Plio for free. Just head to plio.io to set up a demo and make sure to mention the She Can She Did podcast when prompted. Their team are on standby to set you up with the offer, even if you happen to be listening to this episode months and months after its release. A giant, giant thank you to Plio for their support of She Can She Did and for handing over the mic to some amazing business owners who happen to be members of She Can She Did in the middle of this episode too. They are absolute legends, they're so supportive, but that is enough of me rambling. Let's get started with today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to the She Can, She Did podcast. The podcast in which I, Fiona Grayson, sit down with smart, driven, beyond inspiring business owners dotted all over the UK and ask them to open up to me about the candid reality that they've pushed through behind the scenes. Warts and all, of course, to not just launch, but run, grow and sustain their business to date. The overarching aim being to encourage both current and aspiring business owners that if the women that I'm chatting to each week can overcome and did overcome the setbacks they faced, and believe me, not one woman will say that she's had it easy on here, you can and you will overcome whatever challenges this running a business malarkey chucks your way to. This week, I chatted to a woman whose mission, courage and tenacity inspires me no end. Esther Marshall, if you haven't heard of her, is the founder of Sophie Says, an award-winning children's book series that is changing the face of children's literature by featuring diverse characters and combating stereotypes one page at a time. Having spent the past eight years at Unilever, in which her final two years were spent heading up their global diversity and inclusion team, it wasn't until Esther went on maternity leave and started reading her son books, which at the time only served to reinforce damage racial and gender stereotypes, that the idea for Esther's first book, Sophie Says, I Can and I Will, was born. Initially written in the notes section of her phone whilst up in the night breastfeeding her son each night, once finished, it quickly became clear that the message of the book needed to be spread far and wide. As I'm sure you'll soon hear, today's episode is not just a story about how Esther launched, ran and grew the Sophie series to what it is today, that of a book series endorsed by everyone from Frankie Bridge and Fern McCann to none other than Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, it's also a story about resilience, 
bravery and learning to deal with grief and acts as a poignant reminder to each and every one of us that even though Sophie Says was written for children, its core message applies to us all. No matter what, it's always, always okay not to be okay. This is Esther's story so far. I'm honestly so happy that you're here. Like, I, when was it? Was it at the London, which London Mingle did I come up to? And I was like, I really want you on the podcast. And you were like, not, not yet. Yeah, it must have been like over a year. No, more now. Nearly two years ago, probably. Wow. Well, here we are. I'm so happy. Esther, you know the drill. Please, can you let me know what your business is all about? And we will go from there. Yeah. Hi, I am Esther Marshall and I'm the founder of Sophie Says a children's brand that basically helps children understand life's most important lessons in a fun and authentic way. Love that so much. You've nailed that pitch, that elevator pitch. (laughs) Trying, trying. There's an even longer one for investors, but I'm trying. (laughs) (laughs) But where did this idea come from? You know, you weren't in publishing before. You know, it's very, the books, I should say, are absolutely amazing. So beautifully illustrated. The stories, everything you stand for, I'm fully behind, but I'm really interested. Yeah, where, where did the idea come from? Yeah, so it basically came about when I had my son kind of two and a half years ago. And I was the kind of person before in corporate world that left early in the morning, went into work, didn't look up, came home went to sleep because I worked late, got up. I basically just didn't look anywhere. And then suddenly I was on maternity leave and I was working in corporate and diversity and inclusion. So it's my kind of bread and butter all day. And I took my son to library and they did like free um, readings of books. And I sat there with him and I looked around and I was like, you're the only person in this entire library of kids that is represented in any of these books. And it just really got to me. And not only that, I then started, I don't know if any of your listeners probably are mums, but I found personally feeding in the night incredibly lonely. And you have to stay awake, obviously, feeding your child. So I would be like scrolling through social media and I'm finding all these perfect people in their perfect lives and I'm exhausted and I was like I need to stop doing that so I started reading a lot about behavioral science and realized that from around 18 months to three years depending on the child they understand really important lessons and they understand where they kind of quote unquote fit in society and I was like this is not okay like why are there books about a dog going to the park when my son at 18 months is going to understand his privilege like he needs to understand that So I kept having these long conversations with my sister who loved cooking. So she'd come over and help cook while I was feeding. And then over dinner, we'd talk about it. And she's an amazing, amazing artist. And she said, well, Esther, you like writing. Why don't you write the book? And I'll do the illustrations. And I thought, oh, what a lovely thing to do. I didn't like not being busy. You know, and I was like, well, a baby keeps me busy, but something else to keep my mind going. And that's kind of where it started from. So in the night while I was feeding him, that's where I wrote the first book. Sophie says, I can, I will all about how I wanted my son to know that women can do just as much as you, if not more, and women that won't necessarily look like your mum as well, and how you should embrace everybody that you meet and everyone's going to bring something to the table and you can learn from that and how diverse thought and thinking is good. And yeah, we can go into more detail in it later, but kind of that's where it started. And I didn't think it would get to where it's got to and I didn't think it would evolve, but it started as a really nice kind of sister project to do together to get me through maternity leave, to give my brain something to do rather than turning to mush in that kind of maternity live period, basically. That's amazing. So there was no kind of intention to, was there an intention to publish it? Or it was literally just a case of, let's just write this for my own kind of well-being, get it out of my head. Yeah, not at the beginning, not at like three o'clock in the morning, you know, literally, I mean, I had sepsis during birth and it was, you know, it was just a really bad, bad time. I didn't have the forefight to think more than like, is he going to wake up in an hour? It wasn't there. It was... I'm a corporate person, I'll do turn to leave and I'll go back to my life and everything will be just the same. And for anyone who's a mum who's listening knows that that's the most ridiculous thing ever. But I didn't know, no one tells you about these things. So I was like, okay. So yeah, I just thought, oh, I'll write it. It'll be really nice, therapeutic. And then it just started to kind of take off. And it kind of allowed me to dream a bit where I couldn't dream in corporate because everything is so structured and dreaming felt really good. I love that so much. So I'm just trying to picture this. I really like the nitty gritty details. So I presume middle of the night, you're sat there, you know, writing it down on on the laptop, typing it away. And then Rebecca puts the illustrations to it. But is this on kind of sketchbook paper? And then 
was it a case of printing them off and kind of having a mini yeah. little manuscript you know what did that like finished early version look like <laughs> yeah I couldn't have a laptop because technically I had sun on boob yeah arm down the side of a armchair with my phone typing one-handed and that's how I wrote it kind of down the side what, yeah, literally, I just had my phone like down the side because I didn't want the light to wake him up. But I was like, I need to stay awake. Otherwise, I'm going to fall asleep and he's yeah, going to yeah. roll off. And you can't wake them or like engage with them because you're like, I just want to put you straight back to bed. So he's on this side here. And I'm, you know, looking at, at my phone. And, and For any listeners wondering, Esther's doing a little jig right now. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm shaking my boobs around. Why not? <laughs> and yeah, typing. And then once I had the finished version... It then all got a little bit more complex because my sister is 18 months younger than me and suffered really badly with, at the time, depression, anxiety and was hospitalised. Mm. So while she was in hospital, she was saying to me, look, I don't think I can do the illustrations how I wanted to because you'll be on a time schedule and, and that's not going to be good for me. So she said to me, please go and find someone else. I really want to see this come to life. But in the state that I'm in, like I just don't feel like it would be good for me. So fine of course I said and I'll come and bring you the illustrations and you can see etc so that was really nice while she was in hospital like showing her how it works so I then reached out to some people I was working at Unilever I reached out to them and said does anyone know anyone in design or anything I went to our design team and they said send me the manuscript and we'll send it out to a few people and I mean that's a pretty decent contact like yeah yeah yeah. I mean it was (laughs) it was just leave it with me And I remember it's super kind. And one guy came back and was like, I've read it and I've got a four-year-old daughter and I, I want to read this book to her. And for me, that was enough. I like didn't even ask to see like anything he'd done. I was just like, okay, you believe in it too. Let's work together. And luckily he liked to work the way that I was, which was I literally have the words written down and then I will sketch out what I want. And by sketch, I cannot draw to save my life. So it'd literally be like, Sophie here, Arrow. Bed here, arrow. Bunny here, arrow. You know, like thick men. Worse. I mean, I'm taking <laughs> photos because he was laughing, and then he'd put it together, and then he sent it to me. What colours? What this? So it was very much like a let's do it together kind of thing. Yeah. And then he'd send it together, and we'd go backwards and forwards. It took months and months and months, and then I got a copy through the door. We got one printed, and I was like, this looks really good this is something like I put it next to my son's books and I was like, it looks like it could be on a bookshelf. I was like, maybe I should look into it. And then I started having those kind of conversations of, would you be interested in it, et cetera, et cetera. And I got stuff back, which was, you know, two, three years ago. Oh, not sure. We might need to change a few bits, i.e. we need to change the characters because it was kind of diverse and whatever. And I was like, no, the whole point of it is I'm trying to show this. If you're going to change it, I'm going to prove to you that we can do this and that we can make it, you know, put it. And it really was pushback because of how diverse the characters were. Well, I was with a literary agent and that's basically what they were saying. They were like, I mean, number one, people don't know who you are, Esther. So you're not like a Julia Donaldson who wrote The Gruffalo coming to them with this kind of thing where they're like, "Ah, I might not sell as many, but at least we'll get some sales. Plus then the whole kind of diversity. It was like, what is this three years ago? Like, you know. And I thought, fine, if anybody knows me, I love a challenge. So that kind of propelled me to be like, right, screw you. I'm going to show you that this can be something. And that's kind of where it then came of like, okay, well, I'm going to write another one and then we're going to do this. And, and then I started, you know, once my son got a bit older, watching a bit of TV that he watched, especially during lockdown, because sometimes I just needed something. And I was like, the stuff on TV is awful, stereotyped. I was like, we need to do something new. And that's where the kind of strap line that I now speak to invest about of, I want to be Peppa Pig, but with purpose, comes from. I love that so much. Yeah, well, that's that's kind of what I say. I absolutely refuse my son to watch it because it's awful. The stereotypes in it are like awful. We need something that kids can actually watch that's fun, but they're still learning really important things and building resilience that's actually going to take them into their adult life and give them some happiness and some resilience because of everything they're going to have to go through as a child. Oh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. You mentioned the literacy agent there and reaching out to people. These are all nitty gritty details, yeah. so I can't skim over these. How did you know who to reach out to? How long did the process, you know, what were you looking for in an agent? And also, like, if you're getting an agent on board funding it, you know, all of these things, like, how did you go about the logistics, I suppose? Yeah, I basically just looked up literary agents online. Google is amazing. Google, yeah. I literally looked at one that was near to me because I was like baby travel doesn't really work got in touch with them 
they said, okay, come in, let's see. And I basically said to them, look, I can't afford anything. So basically, if you get me a deal, you can have some of it. Now, that was super naive of me now, knowing what I know after doing like four or five years of research. It's like, no, that's not what you do. But at the time, how did I fund it? I had nothing. So in a way, it kind of gave me the upper hand now in the position that I'm in. But I didn't know that back then. So literally, it was, I have no money. So you could do that. And then they would reach out to the penguins and whatever it was of this world. I didn't reach out to them. They did it on my behalf and they told me what came back. So I never actually saw the emails or anything like that, which again, even though it's harder work, I'd prefer to do the hard grafting myself so I can see what's going on because you never know with some of these people what they're telling you. Yeah. Personally, it was one of those things of a lot of time wasted at the time and felt really annoyed about it. But actually what I learned from it was way better and much more informed now to give me leverage. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So I'm right in thinking that you're at Unilever full... Oh, hang on, you're still on maternity leave at this point. At this point, yeah. Okay, so what stage was the book at? Or I should say the business, the whole Sophie Says empire that you're building. (laughs) Uh, What stage was that at when you went back to work? When I went back to work, it had just been published in quote marks because I didn't have a publisher behind me. It was just me with fee can see it, but there's, you know, boxes and boxes behind <laughs> me of books basically in our flat. And at the time we we're in a tiny little flat in London. So it was everywhere and selling it through our Shopify site online. And so anytime a, an order came in, I'd package it up. I'd take it to the post office. So exciting. And off we went. And that was it. I would like sit at my Unilever desk and see orders coming through. Brilliant. I'd be like excited to go home and package five orders and take them to the post office the next day. And that's where it was kind of at the end of maternity leave and then going back to work. Okay. I want to go back a few steps then. So that Shopify website, you know, building that, I always say it's one thing having the product or having the idea, but it's a completely different thing actually getting people to buy it. So again, how did you go about getting the word out there? And, and was that a comfortable? Because I always think this is so interesting when you've come from a corporate background in your role at Unilever, you know, diversity and inclusion, you've got your job description, you know what you're doing. Whereas when you start something yourself, I don't need to tell you, but you know, it's a different ballgame, isn't it? There's just so many different hats. It's just a classic stereotypical question coming your way. But you know, how did you find that side of business, you know, marketing what you've created yeah. and selling it? difficult because I was used to a global machine with budgets of millions giant budgets (laughs) and brands that are known worldwide so naively I was like sure just sell millions it'll be how hard can it be (laughs) yeah how hard can it be well what I did enjoy was that I was getting to a point at Unilever where I didn't feel I was learning. I was in a senior role whereby I was almost trying to coach people in how they did DNI. I was lead for gender diversity across Unilever globally. So telling different people kind of how they could do it. So I was missing that piece of learning. So actually, I kind of got that from Sophie Says of, I mean, me and tech. Mm-mm. But okay, how do I build the Shopify website? Let's work it out. Let's go on YouTube. Let's do this. It was evenings. It was weekends. I was just trying to teach myself some new skills of how to do it. I took a tiny bit of budget from my own back pocket to get some design of some of the stuff because I knew how important that was. And then I just started on the whole Instagram thing of can we get some influencers to try and share it and get behind the message. It wasn't very much at that stage because I didn't think, oh, I'm going to leave Unilever and I'm going to do this full time. It was just a really nice project. So it just started to build and I had the website, but it's still at this point, it was never a, I'm going to make a Sophie Says Empire kind of thing. <laughs> I feel like we need that to catch on. <laughs> You're building an empire. Who, who did you go to? Because there's so many mummy bloggers in the mummy sphere. Who did you reach out to? Like, were there, because it's obviously, you know, you're coming at it from that DNI perspective as well. And the mental health aspect, you know, there's so many layers to Sophie Says. Yeah. Who were your kind of go-to people that you really wanted to get behind? Well, again, with this whole kind of female imposter syndrome, I was like, well, I can't go to any of the big people because they won't go anywhere. So I started with, you know, quite a few kind of small different influences. They would write about it. I'd send it to them for free. They liked it. And the sales were trickling in it. You know, it wasn't until I started to write the second book and realized where things were going. Exactly. That I thought, if he says it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So 
in January of last year, my sister, Rebecca, who suffered really badly with mental health and was in mental illness, I should say, in hospital, actually took her life January last year. So that hit me, I mean, of course, like incredibly hard. We're 18 months apart. We grew up like wearing the same clothes. We shared a room for 11 years. I mean, it was all the things that come with that. Like I was at the hospital the whole time. How could I not do enough? Why couldn't I save her, et cetera? I mean, the whole thing that comes with it, I won't go into it. But the day that she passed away, that evening and the evening after, I couldn't sleep. I mean, I couldn't sleep for a long time, but those two nights. And so I wrote, Sophie says it's okay not to be okay. The second book was supposed to be Sophie says, be proud of who you are. But I swapped it because I was like, I want to give her something or try and keep her legacy and memory alive. And that was in January, not knowing that a global pandemic was on its way. And then suddenly the conversation around children, mental health, adults, mental health, you know, parents not knowing how to talk to children, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was like, okay, this book's out there. I'm at Unilever. My sister would say to me, I remember once in hospital, she said to me, you know, why were we given a privileged life. We had a good education. We had a roof over our heads. She liked to travel. She was qualifying as a doctor. She liked to travel and kind of give back to people. And I'm not a doctor, but we always used to go to different countries and see children who didn't grow up with what we had. And she said to me, before I could answer, she said, I know why, because we're going to do something with that privilege and we're going to give back. And when I went back to work, I was just sat there and I was like, I'm not really giving back in my corporate job. I mean, we're doing good work, don't get me wrong, but it's just not getting there. Now, if I could have just literally left the next day, I would have done, but kind of have nursery fees to pay and all the other stuff that goes with that. So I went down to three days a week at Unilever. That didn't really work because I was still working for nearly five days. So I went back up to four. So I was like, I should be paid, you know? Yeah, 100%. But I basically worked for a year in that one day plus weekends and evenings to get, Sophie says, to a point where I was like, yes, I'm nowhere near on my Unilever salary but it's somewhat viable that I can pay the bills. Amazing. And I mean, firstly, I have no doubt, Esther, that Rebecca's proud of you because what I think you went through in 2020 is hard enough, you know, in January of 2020, it's hard enough on its own, but add just the year that 2020 was on top of that. I mean, I just take my hat off to your commitment to this and your bravery. I just think you're absolutely amazing. And I'm really sorry. But I just think you're really amazing. Um, How did you go about in that year when you did just one day a week? What did getting Sophie Says to a place that you could do this full time? What did that look like in a pandemic as well? Do you know what I mean? Like business just changed last year. So it's not the usual rules you're playing with. What did you do to just, because you have, you've done it so incredibly well. But like, I want to know the game plan. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to say I had this whole strategy written out and everything last year, but I didn't. I was grieving and grieving badly. And then it was, everyone's been taken away from me because now I can't see my friends or see anyone. And I'm still at Unilever and my husband's working. We're in a small flat with a 16 month old child that's then not at nursery. It was intense. It was hard. It was, it was not fun. I'll be totally honest with you. But I kept seeing people talking about we're teachers now as parents, we're teachers and we need stuff to be able to help. Like, how do we do that? What do we do? And from that, the word that came into my head was toolkit. As I actually, what I've got here are two books that provide parents and teachers with toolkits to help their kids to talk about some of these things. And the other thing was, you know, the amount of parents online that were saying, I've realized I don't need to teach them maths, but they're at home. I want to teach them about, you know, silly things like doing the laundry or cooking or bigger things. We've been given the gift of time to have these conversations. And then they'd say, how the hell do I bring up these conversations? Boom, here you go. Sophie says books. It teaches you about gender equality, equal opportunities, diversity, mental health. I mean, you name it, it's all in there. So I thought about it and I was like, right, let's conduct a bit of research on this. So we then, again, kind of self funded ish kind of from the sales of the books and a little bit me let's get a little bit of research in and we found that 80 percent of parents were worried about their child's mental health but only a third of parents had anything at home that talked about it because they were too scared so i kind of leveraged that and was like this book or these books provide you with a toolkit you don't have to say anything other than the words in these books and watch what happens and the messages i got from parents were I mean, it, it was like a dream come true. 
because they were like, I had a conversation with my son about gender equality. I didn't even know he could have a conversation. I didn't even know he knew about this stuff, but he's got views on it. Or I had a conversation with my daughter about how low she's feeling and I didn't even know she was feeling low. Or other conversations, a lot of people were going through grief because of COVID. They were like, I lost my dad to COVID and got your book. And I can now explain to my daughter how she's feeling and how I'm feeling and how she can tell me it's okay not to be okay. And I feel that I, as a parent, can be not okay in front of her. And that's game changing. And I was like, okay, we've got something here. And then everything with Black Lives Matter, you know, trending worldwide, diversify your bookshelf, blah, 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 blah. And there I am, you know, I'm not a literacy expert, but I am a diversity and inclusion expert. So I was like, right leverage this you know i would write our speeches for our senior leaders at unilever around this stuff i was writing strategy like this is my bread and butter not only my job but i believe in it so much Mm -hmm. this is what this is doing this is why this needs to be important and i think once i had those two pieces i was like ah i'm now starting to dream and when i can dream i can see something bigger i can see how it can make an impact plus i could then keep rebecca's memory alive And I found that when I was working on it, I was so much more connected with her. It was our idea at the end of the day, right? We came up with it together. And on the front of Sophie says, okay, not to be okay, there's a rainbow. And there's a kind of story behind that because the day that we had to kind of send out this horrible email that I hope nobody ever has to send out to inform family, friends, et cetera, that this has happened because it was going to be too hard to call everybody. We just sent it. Yeah. We had some friends at the house And literally we press send and the skies went dark. I mean, I'm not making this up. There were people who were there and out of nowhere it went dark. And we were all like looking and then suddenly a rainbow came out and I literally just ran to the window and got emotional. And I was like, she's safe. Like she's safe, you know? And so I was like, right, this rainbow has to be something that's going to inspire. And then I was allowed out for one hour a day with my son in lockdown and there are rainbows everywhere because of the NHS. And she qualified as a doctor. She was going through UCL medical school as an NHS doctor. So it was like everywhere around me, it was giving me these signs. And like, I was never really spiritual before, but I was like, oh my God, if there's ever been a calling, like I've got to go and do this. So Mm. again, I'd love to say I had a whole business plan and I did all this thing. (laughs) It was very much like a heartstrings. Now I do, but it was very much like her legacy, pandemic mental health and diversity inclusion, you know, I'm not just creating something out of nowhere. I am an expert in this space. Therefore, when I talk about it, I feel that I've got something behind me. There's substance, 100%. Yeah, exactly. That I was like, let's go and try it. And I think as well, you know full well, like when you believe in your mission that much and like all the signs are there and you know that what you're doing is good, it becomes an easier sell, right? Like there's a real need for these books. Genuinely, there's a need for this. It just becomes like that reason to get out of bed every morning. That's what I just love about this kind of purpose-driven, making a positive impact brands. There is a way to run a business and have that impact. And I think that your business is that personified. Thank you, Pleo, for handing over your art space to me. So you started your business and it's beginning to build traction. Your branding looks great, you've perfected your product or service offering, and you have a steady amount of customers or clients. But now what? How do you get from where you are now to the place you always envisioned for your business? How do you reach your target audience in ways that entice them to support you? And how can your business stand out in the market? Force Creator Studio helps businesses, brands and people better connect with their audience through digitally native content creation and strategy. On the strategy side, I create personalised plans to help you understand what platforms and mediums are best for your growing business. And on the production side, I offer photography, videography and podcasts, including this one you're listening to today. Hi Fee! If you'd like to hear more about Foss Creative Studio, follow us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Foss Creative Studio or visit fosscreativestudio.com forward slash welcome. I'm really interested in... Just because I have to ask, given that I used to fancy Prince Harry so... I say used to, Christ. Uh, 18, I was wondering what you were going to ask. 18-year-old <laughs> me. Gosh, Prince Harry was like my number one. And you went and met him. And I genuinely, I'm just like, what? wow, amazing. And I think like this goes back to, for me, 
it's really easy to see things like Prince Harry and Meghan Markle holding the Sophie Says books. You're having those conversations. You're on Sky News. You're on the BBC. I know that Frankie Bridge for McCann, like they're really championing this. All of those different things, you know, how big of an impact do PR ops like that have on the brand? And what's the reality of it like behind the scenes? Yeah, I was going to say it's twofold. So I think a lot of people have seen that stuff and been like, she's just been handed it or this or that. To get some of those influencers to post about the book took me five months behind the scenes of pushing and pushing. And when it happened, it was unbelievable but all you see is them pushing it or you think oh she's paid for that it's like I don't know where I'd get that money because they charge through the roof for this stuff I had no idea I'm definitely in the wrong job but (laughs) I mean oh my god like I couldn't even I, I just I don't get it and dealing with agents and dealing with this and oh it's so frustrating so the kind of influencer side and the PR side so you asked two questions there is so much behind the scenes that goes into that. Like I'd never have called myself a grafter before because I guess it just kind of came easy at Unilever. People come to you. That was five, each of those were about five months of behind the scenes, pushing and pushing. I didn't hire anyone to do it. I did it. It was go, go, go. Just chasing up emails, chasing, 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 or just pushing the cause if they had, were they pushing back saying, oh, we don't think it's the right fit or no, it was trying to like these agents have, you know, like a hundred thousand pound deals coming in. Like who the hell are you trying to give us some books? You know, like eventually then you'd get in and be like, yeah, sure. Send them to me. And then you'd have to get the agent to get them to the client and the client, you know, they used to meet all the time, but now because of COVID they're not meeting. Have they been delivered? Are they there? When they're there, does she like them? You know, cause the whole thing is I want to be authentic about it. I don't want to just pay someone. It's like, I needed that extra step of do they like them? If they like them, could they do something? So yeah, it is the hardest I've ever worked on anything to get that. Like it's, I mean, if you can get it easily, good on you, please tell me your secret, but it was behind the scenes, behind the scenes. What did really help was that BBC piece because they put together that video that, you know, otherwise I would have had to pay God knows how much for, which I couldn't afford. And I literally sent that video. They can't give you the downloaded video, but I'd send the link that it was on Twitter, I think, just out everywhere. And that made the world of difference. Now that PR, I did pay for. Again, I used every penny that had come in from the books to be like, just put it behind a campaign to launch the second book. And I did that for two months. I could afford two months. And I was like, I just have to put everything behind that. And for the record, for anyone that hasn't seen it, it's you sat in a classroom BBC London and you're basically talking to a classroom of primary school children about the importance of mental health and talking and openly talking about their feelings with the book yeah and the way they edited it was great because they brought in the Harry and Meghan they brought in the first book and I couldn't have put it better myself like to have somebody strategize to put it they did the marketing and sales for me basically so did I get the sales from that BBC piece no But I see it now as an investment because I send that out to everyone. I mean, literally, there's not a single person that hasn't got that. (laughs) It's like, go, go, go. Because you have to let I don't have anything. It's not like a Unilever brand that could put together their own collateral. Like, I don't have any of that. That is what I have. So it's easy to kind of see it as, oh, she's got this, she's got that. But each one, I've had the most amount of conversations. And I think that's one piece of advice I say to any founder of like, any time anyone says, can we chat? Say yes. Because even if that chat didn't go anywhere, they knew someone. And so 100%. even just to get to the agents, I had to have like 15 conversations. But because of that, once I got to the agent, I was like, oh, I spoke to this person. Oh, you spoke to that person. You know, you have to give up hours and hours and hours of your time to get there. But eventually, I mean, when you land, I remember someone on your podcast, I, I remember this, they said, the highs that you get from the days of your own business are on a whole different level to anything you'd ever have in corporate, but the lows are completely different. And I remember when Frankie posted and when Fern posted and when Emma Willis posted, like the adrenaline, I was shaking, like I've done it, I've done it. And people would message me like, oh wow, that's amazing. I'm like, I have worked six months to get there. Yeah, (laughs) it is really difficult behind the scenes. I love that reality though. That has just really cracked me up. I just think like that's what people don't see and it's that persistence. And yeah, hats off to you. You deserve that. 
the Harry and Meghan stuff was amazing. It was through the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. I mean, I have had a lot of leverage through like, you know, I'm part of One Young World, which is a, a network for kind of young people trying to change the world and the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. And they have both been unbelievable because the networks that you meet through that I'm quite an introverted kind of person. That's what I said to you when I came to the mingles, like I hate walking into a room full of people. I can't deal with it. It makes me shake. Mm. But at One Young World, at Queen's Commonwealth Trust and at some of your mingles, I felt okay because people don't say like, oh, how are you? I'm like, I don't know how to answer that. They say to me like, how are you going to change the world? Now that's the kind of conversation I can get on board with. And then I kind of come alive almost rather than just sitting in the corner, like shaking, like when can I get out of it? I mean, we've all been there at networking yeah. where it's literally like, get me out of this room. <laughs> but a bit like with you at the Mingles, when you feel you've got something to say and you've got a product that you love and can make a difference, I don't mind talking about it. And so back in when, before this royal stuff happened, Harry and Meghan were president and vice president of the Queen's Commonwealth Trust. And they were coming over when they were in London to meet young leaders who were kind of leading the way, let's say, they asked for in gender equality and mental health. So it was a a natural fit. It was amazing. Did you just like gear yourself up to walk into that room? I feel like you could just handle it. I don't know. There's something about you, Esther. I feel like you just just so calm and like that interview. I think it was four weeks after Rebecca died. So I don't think I was all there, if I'm honest with you. I think I was so numb and that's how I got through it. Mm -hmm. Just before they came in, we were asked to wear these little name badges. And my friend next to me asked, like, can you put mine on? I was like, oh yeah, sure. And then I went to go and put it on and I was literally shaking. I was like, because it was a safety pin. I was like, this is dangerous. I can't put it on you. I'm literally going to stab you. And then they told us we didn't have to wear them. But that was the first time I realized that I was nervous. Up until then, it was, it was a bit of a blur because I'd just been so sad. And I was off work for two weeks. And then suddenly I was back at work. And then I was going to Buckingham Palace. And then literally after it, I went straight back to work. And it's embargoed, so you couldn't tell anybody. Couldn't even tell my husband. By the way, I'm going to meet Harry and Meghan today. Until and four you days. didn't. That's so good. I, I feel like I'd be really bad. You like, couldn't risk it. I was like, this could be massive. If it happened to slip out, I mean, I trust him implicitly, don't get me wrong. But, you know, I, he definitely wondered, like, you don't wear smart clothes to work. You never really care about what you wear. And you're trying on all these clothes post-pregnancy and you're talking about, you know, like, oh, I mean, I'm sure he realised <laughs> something was going on, right? But what came from that was amazing like the amount of other things but then three days later we went into lockdown Mm. so you know we had tv calling we had this because they posted about it on their socials I was on them their socials after the Oprah interview and obviously like it all shut down after that and you're still like one of the most like recent ones on the Sussex Royal oh really oh so it's it's quite like yeah the timing do you know what I mean it's quite cool (laughs) so I mean Again, I could look at that as that is so annoying. I had press calling. I had this. I had that. It was, I mean, it was overwhelming, but what what an amazing thing. And then it all went quiet because they were like, I mean, who cares about that when we've got COVID coming and we're going into lockdown? But what they did for my website, because they posted about it, has meant that the SEO of our website is number one, which, you know, what I now understand, because I never did this at Unilever, how much you could pay for that they've held massively. So yeah, you just, I I keep saying, because I I like to keep going to like all the things, oh, I can't control this. And I'm getting really stressed that you go day by day with what you can control and other things will move and other things will come with it. But in a really long winded answer to your question, like it was really, really, really hard work to get all of that. Yeah. But you deserved it and you did it. And yeah, it's just the the power of keeping on chipping away, keep chipping away. You know what I'm on about. I'm really interested in how you, I always talk about kind of self-care and looking after yourself as a business owner on this podcast, but I'm always very interested in how you are managing your own self-care and mental health when, you know, running a business is hard enough as it is. You've got the added responsibility of being a mum, which is, you know, an overwhelming chapter in any woman's life. And then you've also got the added layer of the fact that not only are you dealing with a really sensitive topic topics I should say day in day out but there's also a real personal attachment there Mm. so what does this and I'm very aware it's not going to be like a, a straightforward answer but you know how how do you navigate that as the woman behind the business yourself yeah I think that's completely changed now that I've left corporate world I didn't realize how little I looked after myself 
like so badly. And I just think if I'm going to be talking about mental health and self-care, I've got to not only talk the talk, you've got to walk the walk. So I took up running. Rebecca used to run all the time and she'd be like, why didn't you come running with me? I was like, I can't put one foot in the other. Do me a favor. So I started Couch to 5K and that's been wonderful and really nice as well because vivid memory of Rebecca's always seeing her in her fleece and her hat while she was running. And while it was snowing and everything, I was out running like that. And because of the snow, it was white. So the reflection was coming down more than before. And it was literally like she was running with me. And it was just a really nice time that I could be with her because everything's so busy. I didn't give myself that space. So for me, that's super important. And I, at first, was listening to podcasts and music while I was doing that. But now I've started doing it in silence because I've realized I need to be creative in this. I'm a founder, but I'm also creating some of the stuff. So I'm writing and whatever. So that gives me the kind of open space to think. And in that, I come back feeling totally refreshed. That's one thing. I've been having grief counseling, so I know that I need to do that. It's horrible for anyone who's done it. It is not a fun process, but it's one of the only ways that I'll be able to deal with it because otherwise the pressure I'll put on myself will be too much. It will be debilitating and I can't do that. The other thing, I have a mentor who's amazing who said to me, look, Esther, you were so busy at Unilever, back to back on calls, you know, like really in a nice way, kind of taking the mick out of me. But like tangibly, what were you actually getting done? You know, people are so busy, but actually it's the people that aren't on the outside, what people think are busy, that actually manage to get some stuff done because otherwise you're just firefighting, right? So he said, you need to work out what it is. And it basically is no more than two meetings a day. And the rest of that time is time with me, time with focus, either that being out for a walk, which just helps so much, out for a run, even like going for a walk with a friend, whatever it would be, taking that time for myself. And that has helped the business and me from a self-care point of view. And it's game-changing because I always thought, well, if I'm not working from 7 a.m. to 11 p.m., then I'm not going to get anything done. Yeah. Right. But now I'm working between the hours of nine and five because then I get to nursery. And then the hours of five till seven are with my son. And for me, that is self-care because I understand women who are like, I have a nanny and whatever, but personally for me is I have a child. I want to be with that child. Whereas at Unilever, I kept getting calls at five or whatever. Like he'd be in the bath and they'd say, Oh, can you just send this to me? And I'd be like, my son's in the bath, but I need it now. So I'd be like, Oh, can you come and look after him? And then I'll go. I don't do that now. I have that two hours with him. I then have dinner with my husband uninterrupted, no work. He doesn't look at work. I don't, we used to literally be how's your day yeah good both of us like this and it's done wonders for both of us and our relationship because it's like I bet. oh hi how are yeah. you you know and then you know I've had from seven till eight or nine o'clock of like stepping back and then I get into bed and start reading and like I've got a pad next to me and like I start writing and stuff comes and it's absolutely revolutionized my life it was the scariest thing leaving but it's the best thing that's ever happened I am just so happy for you that that's how it's turned out like that. Do you know what I mean? Because I sometimes interview women where they leave the corporate world and they genuinely, that, that transition is so overwhelming. They've suddenly got this blank canvas and it's kind of like, okay, well, what do I do with it? But it really feels like you've embraced it. And I remember speaking to Jess a, a few weeks ago and I said that I was interviewing you and she's like, wait till you speak to a different woman. She's literally like basically on a different level like since you've left corporate world it's just been the best thing that's happened and it's yeah. just yeah you, you really really deserve it I'm really interested in the network that you had at Unilever because it is a really powerful company right there's contacts there etc cetera, etc cetera. what's your advice for people for really like stepping in and making the most of that network and what would your advice be for say I don't know an 18-year-old founder straight out of school, never been into the corporate world for like navigating that whole building a network thing. Yeah. I think for me, it always goes back to the authenticity. Always be yourself and never sell out for anybody. So if someone's offering, oh, I'll do this for you for this. I think I've built up relationships. And because I think because I was in HR, it's very much you get to know people. It was HR strategy. I had to do a lot of redundancies, had to have really difficult conversations. And I didn't realize it, but people come back to me and be like, do you remember when you fought for my package to be this and I could stay an extra bit of this? And in my head, I didn't necessarily remember that specific example, but I always stay true to if I'm going to do something, it's going to be for the better of that person. 
and I'm not going to let even a corporate machine to the point I had like raging arguments with bosses sometimes of like, you are taking people's lives. You can't. These people have been working here for years, even if they haven't. So that kind of kindness and authenticity that people are like, you can't be a leader with that. I stand true of, yes, you can. And I will fight (laughs) until the day that I die to be like, you can do that. There are times where you have to make calls for sure. But I say to an 18 year old, go in, explain to them what you're trying to do. Be honest. I mean, don't give everything away because of course you need to keep some stuff close to your chest, but be open, be honest, be kind. And those relationships will come back at points. You know, I go back to someone that I haven't seen for five or six years. It's fine because you built that relationship back then and you had a kindness. It's not a, oh, she's coming to me because she wants something. People are more open. The door is kind of left ajar. So I think always try and exit a conversation, not strategically, because that comes across as really inauthentic, but just be decent, basically. Just be a nice person, you know, like I've seen so many not nice leaders and like, I mean, they get there, but they're pounding doors down. Isn't it so much easier if the doors open? That's the way I look at it. And so you just build, I don't see it as building networks. I see it as building friendships. Absolutely. And then your advice, I suppose, for the 18 year old that hasn't had that background, but needs to say, get into the door into corporates for the success of their business oh yeah I would seriously advise that I would not be able to do what I've done with Sophie says if it wasn't for the power of the network that I had and that was eight years worth of not just Unilever network that was one young world network that was speaking to people in the corridors finding out who they were speaking to I mean it was always always on I mean there's always something you can get out of a conversation even if it's not not necessarily the benefit for you, but you can find out about people. And I think that's kind of what the HR strategy role did. I was always talking to people about their lives. So I knew more than just the business then. So it kind of made sense that way. So don't just go in and be like, this is what I'm doing. Like, Find out about the person. Mm-hmm. What gets them? Like, It should be the same as you speak to a friend. I mean, when you go for investor conversations, that's very different. But, you know, like if you're starting to build a network as a friendship rather than network, but if you can get into the door at corporates, I would personally advise it. It's the only way I know, but it's helped. Amazing. And you mentioned investors there really quickly, because I am where I want to move on, but really quickly with investors, how is that going? And like you said, the conversations changes there. Like, how do you prepare for those? Yeah, so I've had kind of one or two conversations with investors that will be very much like, again, through the network that I know from like CEOs of Unilever, et cetera, like, you know, these people could give X, Y, and Z. And I thought, oh, that's great. But now that I'm in this full time and I've got this kind of dream of where I want it to go, I'm like, no, I'm not happy with that conversation. I don't just want X. I want X, Y, Z, and A, B, C, you know? And I think that's what this has allowed me to do. It's allowed me to dream more. So I will be entering into an investment round in the next few months. In doing so, I am going to bring on a COO with me because I know a mentor said to me, make sure you write a list of everything you love doing and all the stuff you don't love doing and then bring people in to help you on that. And I need that because I can talk the talk about what I'm trying to do. But when you ask me about my profit margins and my net revenue, if I have it in front of me, it's fine. But all of that kind of stuff, eh, you know, (laughs) I I mean, I, I get it. I understand it. I did it at Unilever, but I don't love it. And I don't have the same passion around it. So I need somebody that has that. So I'm hopefully going to be doing that and moving forward. Let's see where it goes. That's so amazing. I have no doubt. I just got a good feeling. You mentioned you don't want just X, Y, Z, but you want ABC. What does all of that look like? What's the future plan? Like, Where do you see this going? And can you see yourself doing this? Are you fully in this now? Oh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm fully in it. <laughs> I see us being Peppa Pig with purpose. I don't Yay. see this being books. I see this being the next Peppa Pig, the next Paw Patrol. Like, that's my dream. Yeah. How can we have millions and millions of children that understand I can, I will, it's okay not to be okay, be proud of who you are. You know, as I say, when I, when I speak to investors, these are the mantras that if children have growing up in their childhood, building resilience could exponentially grow everything positively in their adulthood. I mean, who doesn't want that? Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I'm already seeing like a Sophie Says movie, all the animations. Oh, it's going to be so exciting. What has this whole experience taught you about yourself, Esther? That it's okay to dream. That it's okay, ironically, to not be okay. It's okay to have those down days and you will learn from those. 
it's given me hope. I love that so much. It is really interesting, isn't it? Like I always say like you hold the reins when you run a business, but that whole being able to dream, there is a real kind of, you know, the past year for me personally, I've always, always dreamed big. And then the past year, it's really been like, am I going crazy? Like, do I need to rein that in a bit? Like, what does it actually look like? Am I, then you have to really like, I think it's the importance of having good people around you as well. But then you have to really remind yourself, no, it really is okay to dream. However, whatever the dream looks like, but dream it and then go on and grit your teeth and do it. That coupled with the advice that my mentor gave me that was amazing, which was, this is not all of you. So let's say Sophie says doesn't go where I want it to go. Personally, I am bigger than that. Not that that doesn't mean a lot, but I could go and do something else. You've got to find that grounding in you to believe that one thing or another will lead to another thing. And I think, you know, unfortunately, that's what's helped me in a way with everything with Rebecca passing away. Of She's helped me find myself. Yeah. And if that wouldn't have happened, not that I ever would have wanted it to happen, but this is what the grief counseling is trying to teach me of like, you try and find the positives in that. And like, if Sophie says fails, it's not even fails, but if it doesn't go to where I want it to go, same as she can, she did. It's not a reflection on you or me because you as a person will be able to do something else and it will be the next chapter. And that's been really good kind of having a mentor that's not a business person, but someone that kind of thinks a little bit more holistically. Yeah, hundred percent. I think it's always, and it goes back to the power of having a good mentor or support system, but just having someone to remind you of that is, yeah, amazing. I always end with some statements, as you know, so I will start and I'd like you to finish them, please. Esther, being my own boss means? Means vision dreaming and being fulfilled yes it does when it's not quite going to plan my advice would be to uh, step away for a minute and then when you can control what's happening challenge yourself to control the way you respond to what's happening and that's where the power is absolutely it goes back to what you're just saying you can always finding the positives isn't it mm. if i could describe myself as a businesswoman i would say that i am kind Absolutely. Um, if I could go back to day one of my business, I'll tell myself. Back yourself until the end. And also, no one cares. This is one of the best things a therapist ever told me. No one cares about you. Yeah, my sister tells me all the time in the nicest way. She's just like, no one cares for me. No one cares. Yeah. yeah. And it's the best thing ever because that fear that comes in you of, I can't do that. People will think this. Yeah. No one cares. <laughs> literally love it so much and sometimes it's brutal it's like why like they should <laughs> then it's like oh no hang on the world doesn't revolve around me <laughs> <laughs> finally i want my legacy to be that that millions of children understand the most important lessons in life and build resilience to take them into their adult lives oh my gosh esther i am so so grateful i genuinely yeah love that chat so much I have so much respect for what you've created and i know full well that the vision that you've just laid out will happen. Thank you so much to Pleo once again for sponsoring this episode and for going that extra bit further to support female business owners by handing over the mic to our amazing members during this episode's ad space. As one of their 15,000 customers, I know full well we're in safe hands with this one. It really is a game changer for how we manage expenses. So I highly recommend taking advantage of their special offer for She Can, She Did listeners and seeing for yourself what all the fuss is about. Get your first three months free by heading to pleo.io now and make sure to mention the she can she did podcast on your demo the link's in the show notes now i cannot wait to hear what you think thank you so much for listening to that episode if you happen to enjoy it please do feel free to subscribe rate review tell a friend etc etc i'm sure you know how it works by now but it really does help to give the series a little boost and i for one would be so unbelievably grateful for now though have a lovely day and please do keep a lookout for next week's episode <laughs>